Hey everyone, my name is George Davis, so thanks again for joining us for this online service of the Hershey Free Church. This is Father's Day weekend, and I just want to take a moment just to celebrate dads. Uh, some of you are, are dads by birth or by adoption, by foster care, by marriage, and uh, some of you are really dads in the sense of being teachers, mentors, coaches, caretakers, men who demonstrate discipline, responsibility, love, being for others, and I just want to, I want to say thank you for that role. I also just want to acknowledge that for some of us, we have to deal with the reality every year that we haven't had positive father figures in our life. And I think for you, I, I just pray that even in a day like today, you can be encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that you really are deeply loved by him. Now, particularly on a day like today, um, which is Father's Day, it, it's appropriate that in our journey through Colossians, we're coming to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're coming to the part of the book where the Apostle Paul actually deals with family relationships. And to, to put this scene in context, let me, let me just remind you of what Paul is doing in this book. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that has faced particular challenges. They are in a season of stress. It's uh, related to the fact that they've been influenced by false teaching. And so he's writing this letter to uh, really equip them to respond well to the stressors that they are under. And ultimately, his goal, I think, is for them to be deeply rooted together. That's why we're calling this series Deeply Rooted Together, to be deeply rooted together in the good news of Jesus Christ, to be deeply rooted together in who they are as followers of Jesus. And, and really, Paul is telling them, you know what, now, particularly now, it, it's time for you to live out your identity as a follower of Jesus. And I think in a real sense, this is an important message for us to hear, even as we are coming out of COVID, as we're wanting to embrace this season, this opportunity well, both individually and, and as a church. So Paul really wants them to live out their identity as followers of Christ. As we've been working through the book, we've seen this. Uh, particularly in chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul talks about really what it means to be a follower of Christ, the nature of our identity in Christ. And in light of that, as you continue through chapter 3, he really builds on that idea to say, look, and if you are a follower of Christ, here's certain things that you need to put away. Here's certain attributes that really are inconsistent with who you are. You need to put this to death. You need to starve these kinds of attributes. Likewise, he says, and, and here are other attributes. Here are other kind of virtues and skills that you need to develop uh, because these are consistent with your new identity in Jesus Christ. And then he moves to the section we're going to be looking at today, uh, starting in uh, verse 18, where he talks directly about really close relationships and what it means to live out their identity in these close relationships. He talks about wives, husbands, children, parents, slaves, masters. Now, we need to understand, uh, as we come to this section, that this section is actually dealing with the, the typical relationships that would have been at work in a Roman household. Um, and understand, uh, in the Roman world, particularly in Roman cities, so much of life uh, revolved around the household. In the ancient Roman world, the household really was the socioeconomic center, the socioeconomic hub in, in corporate life, in, in, your, in the life uh, of people, in the, particularly in the cities. 
all of your life was just centered in, in your household. And in that setting, I mean, maybe we think about household and we think about, you know, a parent or parents and, and their kids, but in, in the ancient world, the household was more than a husband, wife, and children. It, it, could, it could be a larger household, almost like a villa, and it could include, uh, right, the husband, the wife, the family, as well as relatives, slaves, uh, renters, migrants. These, these were all part of this household unit. Now, because, uh, because this section deals with relationships in a household, this section of Colossians is, is sometimes referred to as a household code, uh, you find similar discussions elsewhere in the New Testament, for instance, in Ephesians, also in First Peter. And as we come to this section, I need to be honest, um, this is a point in the book of Colossians where I think Paul loses people. And here's what I mean by that. I think some people, we, we read the book of Colossians, and you know, Paul says some amazing things about being in relationship with Christ and who Christ is. And uh, then we get to this section, and it's like he can lose us here because um, we get to this section, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. We get to slaves kind of obeying their masters. And, and for some, they get to this section of the book, and it feels like, you know, Paul has said some amazing things up to this point, but now he is, he's just capitulating to Roman expectations, now he's just giving in to Roman culture, right? The Roman culture was very hierarchical. It, it was a very much a top-down culture from Caesar's household all the way down to the local households uh, in Roman cities. And, and the relationships within households were, were basically top-down, right? Husbands, wives, fathers, children, masters, slaves. And, and so you get to this point in the letter, and it feels like Paul's just giving in to those cultural expectations. And maybe it feels like he's just giving in to the status quo. He's, he's simply a man captive to his times and his culture. And, and for this reason, we may be quick to pass over this section. However, if you're prone to think in those terms, uh, can I just make two observations? First of all, I, I think there's more I think there's more going on here than we may realize initially, and, and we'll see that as, as we go through the section. So don't simply write Paul off as, as being captive to the status quo. Secondly, I think there's, I really do think there's tremendous practical wisdom here that we shouldn't miss. I realize it's easy just to read through this and blow past it, but there's some amazing practical wisdom at work here, and and, and here's what I mean by that. Notice this. In challenging us to live out our identity as followers of Jesus, Paul highlights the relationships that are most central to our lives. And, and frankly, I find this tremendously practical. For instance, think about this. Isn't it the case, isn't it the case, that if my life starts moving in an unhealthy direction, unhealthy choices, unhealthy habits, that the first warning signs of that often appear in the central relationships of my life, such as the ones he's describing here. Because this section 
deals with the relationships in a household. It is sometimes referred to as a household code. You find similar discussions in other books of the New Testament, including Ephesians and 1 Peter. And I also need to acknowledge this is, this is a point at which in the book of Colossians, Paul sometimes loses people. I mean, I think people, people read the book of Colossians and, you know, up to this point they say, Paul, you're saying some really amazing things about Christ and what it means to be related to Christ. But when you get to this section, Paul, you're, you're simply giving into culture. I mean, this is where, this is where you're, you're giving in to Roman expectations. You're simply going along with the status quo. After all, Roman culture was very hierarchical. It was very top-down from Caesar's household to the local households and communities like Colossae. And, and so you, you also see kind of that top-down hierarchical structure and relationships, right? Husbands, wives, fathers, children, masters, slaves. Everyone knew their place. And so we, we get to this section of the book and it feels like, well, Paul's just giving in to those cultural expectations. Paul is simply going along with the status quo. And for this reason, we get to this section and you may be tempted just to kind of blow through it, to pass through it. But if, if you're prone to think in those terms, uh, l- let me just make two observations for you. First of all, I really do think there's more going on here than we may first realize, and, and we'll see that as we, as we go through this passage. Secondly, please don't kind of just blow through this, because I actually think there's some tremendous practical wisdom here that we shouldn't miss. For instance, notice this. In challenging us to live out our identity as followers of Jesus, Paul highlights the relationships that are most central to our lives. And I find this tremendously practical. Now, I mean, think about this. Isn't it the case? Isn't it the case that if my life really starts moving in an unhealthy direction, unhealthy choices, unhealthy habits, that the first warning signs of that appear in the central relationships of, of my life? For instance, maybe over this last year and a half, I mean, think about some of the things we had to do, the lockdown, all the stressors of the changes we had to make. Maybe at some point... In the midst of that, I really became stressed. I really became tired, overworked, even to the point of, of really being short with other people. Wasn't it, wasn't it in my central relationships that I experienced that first? I mean, if, if my life goes off track, isn't it in the really central relationships of my life where you can see that firsthand? Likewise, kind of on the other side of that, Isn't it possible that I can live my life in such a way that my public image is one of success and achievement, even though the central relationships of my life, such as my family relationships, are unhealthy and dysfunctional? I mean, isn't it possible to do that? Last week, I came across the obituary of an influential biblical scholar, and And as I read the obituary, it actually took me back to one of the most awkward conversations of my life. You see, many years ago, I I actually developed a relationship with the son of this influential scholar. And I remember the first conversation I had with him. I was a big fan of his dad and his father's books. So when we, when we met, I started just really gushing about his father. Man, it must, your dad's done some amazing writing, some amazing research. I love his books. It must be incredible to, to have him as a father. And all the while I'm going on and on, 
this guy's just really looking at me with almost an empty stare. And finally, when I'm done, here's what he said to me. He said, that guy, I don't know. And I've got to be honest with you, it just, it's like it took the oxygen out of that conversation. I didn't, I didn't know how to respond. And as we came to get to know each other over the subsequent weeks and months, I, I really began to see, well, this, this gifted scholar, he had invested all his time in his research and his writing, but he hadn't invested it in his family. And now, now that his son was a young adult, there, was, there just wasn't a relationship there. And tragically, some of, some of you, some of you tell, have, have similar stories to tell. You've experienced a similar dynamic firsthand. But, but as we're going to see, Paul, Paul doesn't want that to happen. That's why there's tremendous wisdom here. Because ultimately, Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, look, I've given you some big ideas about what it means to live out your identity as a follower of Jesus. And here's where I want you to start. I want you to start in the most central relationships to your life. Here's where this needs to make a difference. So given the wisdom that's actually at work here, I just want to just take a few minutes to walk briefly through this section with you. Now, while the section begins at verse 18, uh, we actually need to start at verse 17 because verse 17 provides the context. So look at this, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, can I suggest this provides the context in which we need to read all of this conversation about relationships. This provides the context in which we need to read this household code. And the thing I really want you to lock into is this, right? It's the idea that whatever you do in these relationships... Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, I think it means we need to engage these central relationships of our lives. Uh, We need to engage them in in a manner that we acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, that's kind of a big idea, but here's what it means in practical terms. It means in practical terms in... In the central relationships of my life, you know, as, as a husband relating to my wife, as a father relating to our three sons, as someone in, in the workplace relating to other people that I work with here at church, I need to understand that those relationships, they're never just about me and the other person. My relationship with my wife is never just about me and my wife. My relationships with my sons, it's never just about me and my sons. All of those relationships need to be engaged with a recognition that, that Christ is Lord. Furthermore, this means that as I engage those central relationships with, of my life, you know, as I do so in the name of the Lord Jesus, I, I need to do so with a recognition that I'm now called to live out the character of Christ. I'm, I'm now someone who is identified with Jesus, and and the way I engage these relationships needs to reflect that new identity. I mean, remember what he's just said. 
right? He's just said, I need to put off certain things. I need to put off things like immorality, anger, and malice. And I need to put on things like compassion, kindness, and humility. And now he is saying, in essence, and, and here's a great place to start. Make sure as you live out this identity, you're paying attention to your central relationships. Because these are important relationships where I am to live out the character of Jesus. And so in a real sense, as we come to this section, and we're going to apologize, but we're going to go through it pretty quickly. But as we come to this section, here's what I think we need to keep in mind, because here's what I think Paul is getting at. He's he's challenging us in these relationships. Well, don't, don't just settle for cultural expectations, because there were strong cultural expectations about how all of these relationships were to work. Don't just settle for cultural expectations. Instead, pursue Christ-like character. I challenge you to live out your identity, and here's where you need to start. You need to start in these central relationships that are so foundational to everyday living. So, kind of setting the context, let's now just quickly come to this passage. Let's work through this passage. Paul begins then by talking about different relationships. First, the marriage relationships, wives and husbands. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, in in looking at this just very quickly, just notice what I've highlighted. Notice a couple of things. I mean, I think often our mind immediately (laughs) gravitates to this idea of submit, right? Submit. But as you see that phrase, submit, also know, note this phrase that, that I've highlighted, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, now for some, when we think about this idea of submission, uh, I think the idea, it may come across that, well, Paul is just telling wives they need to be doormats in the relationship. And tragically, that is the impression that you may get in some Christian circles, Yet notice again, as he's talking about this, he says, as is fitting in the Lord. And I think we need, here's how we need to understand this phrase. Submit in a manner that is appropriate for those who are in the Lord. In other words, you, you were to align yourself with your spouse in a manner that reflects your new identity as a follower of Jesus. In Ephesians, which has a longer discussion of this topic, um, Paul notes that the the concept of of submission actually needs to be at work throughout the church community. It needs to be practiced by all Christians Christians in in aligning ourselves to the good of others, uh, that we are to submit mutually. And I I think that needs to affect the way we read this context. So this talks about the, you know, a, a wife kind of aligning herself with her husband for the good of her husband, being for him. Likewise, then notice the next part. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Part of what's interesting about this phrase is it doesn't tell us what we would expect culturally. Culturally, what we would expect would be something along these lines. Husbands, Rule over your wives. Yet yet that's not what Paul says here. He says, love. Now, in in the Roman world, to some extent, the cultural expectation was this, particularly in large households. The cultural expectation was, you know what, the husband is going to 
um, really lead the family in the public sphere. He's going to represent the family, the household to the writer world and all that that entails, while the wife will manage the domestic affairs of the household. It's almost a simple division of labor. You've got your job and you've got yours. But in essence... While this may really strike us as very traditional, I, feel, I still think Paul is saying this. Don't, don't just settle for cultural expectations. Pursue the character of Christ. Right? Engage your husband in a way that reflects your new identity in Christ and right, the submission modeled in the work of Christ and being for others. And husbands, love your wives. Reflect that love back as well so that there's a, a mutuality of being for one another. Don't, don't just settle for cultural expectations of what a marriage should look like. Pursue living out the character of Christ. Now, if you're married, or if you're getting ready for marriage, let me ask you this. What, what cultural expectations have, have influenced you? Maybe some have, maybe some haven't. I mean, uh, we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, and in different ways as we go into marriage, different expectations can influence us. For instance, maybe, maybe I go into marriage kind of with the expectation that we're, we're, we're going into this relationship to fulfill each other, and I have expectations about what that should look like. Or maybe similar to Roman expectations. You know, I've kind of gotten into marriage, and it's kind of like, okay, this is your responsibility, and this is my responsibility. And I expect you to keep your part of the bargain, and I'll keep my part of the bargain. You do your work, and I'll do mine. And that's what our relationship will look like. But notice once again, Paul is, Paul is moving us beyond just cultural expectations of what a marriage should look like. And he's challenging us to pursue the character of Christ in this relationship. So if you're married, simple question. I just encourage you to wrestle with this. So what does it look like for me to reflect Christ's character in my marriage? Well, you know, right now, what, is it, what does it look like for me to reflect Christ's character towards my spouse? Maybe just to give you a practical example, I mean, you know, when, you know, I think when we embody the character traits that Paul says we need to put on, character traits like gentleness, kindness, and humility, I think one of the, the practical outcomes of that is when I embody those character traits, I'm really listening well to my spouse. So how are, how are you listening right now? What's that look like? Part of the reason I ask you that question, I think in the in the in the challenges of the last year and a half, and you know the stressors, the tiredness, the weariness, the complexity of what we've gone through, I think one thing that's been lost has, the, has been the art of listening well. And maybe that's happened in your marriage. So how well are you listening right now if you're married? Don't, don't just settle for cultural expectations. Pursue the character of Christ. Along those lines, let me just recommend one book that I've really found challenging. It's an older work, but I think it, it really has ongoing significance. It's a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And if you never really wrestle with the idea that marriage is a place where I'm to, 
you know, develop the character of Christ and put on the character of Christ. This, this is a book that can help you think through what that looks like because <laughs> one of the driving questions of the book is this. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? What if marriage really is this place where I'm to develop the character of Jesus? So Paul encourages us as we think about our marriage to kind of just move beyond cultural expectations and reflect the character of Christ. That whole pattern continues again then when we get to the next set of relationships, right? Children and parents, particularly children and fathers. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Again, notice the pattern of how I think Paul is moving simply beyond cultural expectations. Yes, he talks about children obeying your parents, but he does so with the expectation that you're going to obey in a manner that pleases the Lord. In other words, it's not a blanket call to, uh, to obedience. Rather, it's the expectation to, to obey in manners that reflect who God is and God's will. Likewise, we are surprised again when we get to the second part because, once again, we would expect culturally some statement about fathers ruling over their kids, and and yet we don't get that. Instead, we get this line, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Once again, Paul is pushing back against the cultural expectation because he's challenging us, you know, as... As parents, don't, don't simply settle for cultural expectations. Reflect the character of Jesus. Now, for those of us who are parents, let's just think about that for a moment. I mean, in, in our context, I think uh, as parents, we can be shaped by certain cultural expectations. We can be, for instance, you know, I, I can be shaped by the expectation, well, you know, the major job I have as a parent is to provide for my kids. Not only food, shelter, and clothing, but, you know, kind of a safe environment, good opportunities, good education, so they can launch well. And if I've done that, I've done my job. And, of course, all of that is important. But notice, <laughs> notice Paul kinds, kind of moves beyond just, well, you need to provide for your kids because the, the expectation is you're, you're not to embitter them so that they become discouraged, now, in our context, I think there are all kinds of ways in which we can, unfortunately, embitter our kids. Nagging, neglect, hovering, unrealistic expectations, busyness. And, and yet, once again, Paul is saying, I, I, I want you to move beyond cultural expectations, whatever cultural expectations have shaped your approach to parenting. If you're a parent, I, I, want, you to, I want you to reflect the character of Christ so that the best of your ability, and of course, we're all broken as parents and we've got our own strengths and weaknesses, but to the best of our ability, we, we don't embitter our children so that they become discouraged. I don't know what this looks like for you as a parent. I'll just, once again, just give one practical example of what this looks like for me, and that is this. Um, we're, we're now parents of young adults. Our three sons are now in their 20s. And part of what this looks like for me is I'm learning that with different seasons of parenting, as, as our kids grow up, my role has to change as well. And, and, you know, continuing to learn what that looks like. Now, culturally, culturally, I can say, well, you know what? They're launching. I've done my job, right? I can move on with life. That's the cultural expectation. I've given them opportunities. I've given them an education. But 
But Paul is moving me beyond cultural expectations to say reflect the character of Christ. And I think part of the way I reflect the character of Christ is in not embittering our kids is recognizing that my role needs to change. So I'm learning what it looks like to be a parent of adult children and how our conversations need to change and how sometimes our interactions need to change. And to be honest with you, at times I mess up and I have to go back and apologize to our kids. Uh, once again, along those lines, let me, let me give you a book recommendation, particularly if you're a parent kind of moving into the teenage years or moving into the young adult years. A book that I've found really helpful is a book entitled Growing With by Kara Powell and Steve Argue. Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future. But it talks a lot about what these different seasons of life need to look like. So once again, Paul is saying, don't, you know, don't just settle for cultural expectations. Reflect the character of Christ. Finally, we come to the longer section of this household code, which deals with slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Notice once again, moving beyond cultural expectations to understanding the lordship of Christ and our identity in Christ. You're doing this not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, as we read this, uh, we, we've really got to be careful because we read reference to slavery in the New Testament, and I think our natural tendency is to read into these texts the American experience of slavery, uh, and we need to understand it was different. Among other things, uh, slavery in the Roman world was not race-based. Different factors led to slavery, including indebtedness, Likewise, in the ancient world, different factors could lead people out of slavery so that they became freedmen and freed women. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually encourages people, if they have the opportunity to gain their freedom, to do so. But for most, it wasn't the case. Um, so this is the system they had to live in. And those are just givens of the world of which Paul was a part. So he's trying to help them process what does it look like to live in this situation. Yet even then, even given those realities, I think Paul is encouraging, he's encouraging these people to think differently. Um, now, as we come to this section, it, it can be natural to think about slaves and masters just to immediately apply this to our workplace situation. And I think we've got to be cautious about doing that because I, the truth is no matter how challenging your workplace is, it, it's not the same as slavery in the ancient world. Nonetheless, I, I do think there's still things for us to learn here. Once again, notice how Paul is transforming expectations, right? He's He's reminding them that, that ultimately they work for a different master who values their work. I mean, they, you know, it can feel like this isn't fair the way I've been treated or the expectations, but Paul is saying, look, you, you need to realize there are other factors at work, the lordship of Christ, and I want you to respond to your situation in light of that truth and in light of who you are. Likewise, he is reminding masters that they... They don't have ultimate authority, but they must treat each other or treat others 
with fairness and equity. Now, interestingly, you might notice in this section that, that Paul kind of, he goes through these, he goes through these uh, relationships really almost in bullet form without a lot of detail. He could, he could say a lot more, which he does, for instance, in Ephesians. Um, but in this household code, the longest section deals with slaves and masters. And I don't think that is accidental. Because as it turns out, there was another letter delivered with this letter called Colossians. There was a private letter delivered to a guy named Philemon, who was a slave owner, uh, and he owned a slave by the name of Onesimus. And we actually have this letter in the New Testament. And even, even even as Paul is writing the church, he's also writing privately to this slave owner as he's sending back Onesimus, and, and he's, writing, he's writing Philemon about Onesimus, and it, it, he doesn't come out and say it directly, but the, the direction of the letter seems to indicate, Onesimus, I need you to free him for the benefit of ministry. And among other things, in the letter of Philemon, Paul says this, uh, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me, right? I mean, that's a powerful request. Interestingly, writing on this letter, a very influential scholar by the name of F.F. F. Bruce has noted that while Paul does not call for the overturn of slavery, he's actually creating an environment where the institution would ultimately wither and die. Right? He's challenging Philemon to think totally differently as a slave owner in relating to Onesimus in light of the fact that they are both now followers of Christ. In other words, your, your, your identity in Christ is now uh, shaping how you view these very central relationships. So notice, notice here's what Paul is doing. He is taking really the ordinary relationships of our lives kind of the central relationships of our lives for most people. Relationships that can include marriage, that include family, and even relationships that really we would now think of in terms of workplace relationships in that environment. And while I think he, he acknowledges the cultural expectations that people had then, and he, while he would acknowledge the cultural expectations that we can have now about those relationships, He's really challenging us to ask this question. What, what does it look like for me to reflect the character of Christ in this relationship? And, and really, that's, that's what I want to encourage you to think about. Paul has talked in big ideas about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But now he really brings it home, literally, and says, okay, I want you to wrestle with what this identity should look like in the central relationships of your life. So with that in mind, I I really want to leave you with just one question. And that question is this. What's one thing you can do to reflect the character of Christ in the central relationships of your life? If you're married, in your marriage. If you have kids, 
in those relationships. In the other environments, for instance, the workplace environments of your life, what's one thing you can do to reflect the character of Christ in those relationships? I encourage you to kind of think through that question and even think about what that can look like this week if you are to take Paul seriously.